Hi, it's Kate Brownfield from ADHDKidsCanThrive.com. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, please like, comment, and share as it'll help others find the ADHD Kids Can Thrive podcast. Today, my guest is Dr. Ned Hallowell. He's a board-certified child and adult psychiatrist, author, and a world authority on ADHD. Please enjoy our conversation. Okay, Dr. Hallwell, thank you for joining me today. I'm looking forward to this conversation. My pleasure. Thank you for being here. Okay, let's start um, from the very top by having you just give us your definition of what ADHD is. Well, it's a way of being in the world. Um, the, the term attention deficit uh, hyperactivity disorder is, is not only demeaning, it's wrong. It's it's so ironic that the condition has a name that absolutely is incorrect. So uh, we, we I have the condition myself. We don't have a deficit of attention. We have an abundance of attention. Our challenge is to control it. Um, hyperactivity is often not present at all, particularly in adults. Um, so you have two of the four words uh, wrong. And right. the third, the third one, disorder. I don't think of it as a disorder. I think of it as a trait because, depending on how you manage it, it can be a tremendous asset, or it can be a, a terrible liability. I mean, a lot of the prison population has this condition. A lot of the uh, multiply divorced and and unemployed and uh, uh, drug drug users. So it can be living hell, or it can be. You know, like the guy who won the Nobel Prize in chemistry for inventing the PCR uh, reaction. It can be absolutely spectacular. Right. Uh, so as for a definition, it's a way of being in the world characterized by positives and negatives. It, among the positives, we see creativity, uh, originality, uh, initiative, think outside the box, um, a tremendous appetite to... Uh, create and grow and develop things, uh, a, a real need for stimulation, uh, a, uh, a, a, an amazing capacity to empathize, big-heartedness, but also strong-willed, very stubborn. Um, uh, you know, uh, the, the downside is um, trouble-sweating details. Anything that's boring, we can't do. Uh, boredom is our kryptonite. So lack of stimulation, which is boredom, is our kryptonite. We simply can't do boring. We yeah. just bounce off, we, we bounce off of it. So, And that leads to the things that most people have heard of, the trouble with being on time, trouble with getting organized, um, you know, sweating boring details, closing the kitchen cupboards, or, you know, remembering your wallet when you leave the house, or, uh, you know, leaving your jacket in the movie theater, whatever it might happen to be. The so-called executive function, we're bad at that. But the, the and then if you the the condition is defined in the DSM by three broad symptoms: distractibility, impulsivity, and hyperactivity. But if you turn each one of those on its head, you get a tremendous positive that can't be bought or taught. The the flip side of, of distractibility is curiosity, and curiosity is what drives discovery, and curiosity is Thank God for curiosity, and, and again, you can't you can't teach it. You can discourage it, but you you can't give it to someone who doesn't have it. And we naturally have it. It's what makes us so distractible. We want to know what's that, what's that, what's that. 
Impulsivity, the flip side of that is creativity. You don't plan to have a creative idea. Creativity is basically impulsivity gone right. And then if the impulsive thing is disruptive, then you call it impulsive. Um, and then the third one, hyperactivity, you get to be my age, I'm 73, it's called energy. You know, I'm really glad I've got that little turbo pack on my back. So <laughs> the way the way it's described in the medical model, which I was trained in, you know, I'm an MD, is is all about pathology. And that makes sense because you go to the doctor, you know, because you're sick, not because you're well. But when it comes to the mind, it's, it's a big uh, mistake to only talk about pathology, which is what this diagnosis does. It only talks about pathology. So I've been on a mission my whole career to uh, broaden how we look at it to include the positives. Yes. Okay. And so what do you think is the difference between a person with ADHD having a negative life experience or kind of taking the... A, the negative path versus the positive path. How does how do you support in this case, let's say parents raising ADHD kids to direct them towards a more positive life while having ADHD? You, you, you should always be looking for some interest, something that they show an interest in, anything from cooking to baseball to dance to uh, uh, anything, you know, uh, other than just watching a screen. So you're always looking for some flicker of interest, something, and then you do everything you can to encourage that. Right, you know, nurture you it. Life, you build a life on developed strengths, not remediated weaknesses. Now, in order to develop some strengths, you have to remediate some weaknesses. So I'm not saying you forget about the weaknesses, but your search, your 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 overriding concern should be to find the positive, find the glimmer of interest, find the little nuggets of gold uh, buried in the hill, you know, and, and um, uh, the, the the deficiencies are much more glaring, much more easy to find. You can't overlook someone overturning a chair or using a profanity to the teacher or, you know, smacking someone. You, you can't overlook that, but you can overlook someone who's got a real talent with words or a real talent with uh, you know uh, cooking or or a real talent with uh, pencil drawing i mean but those are what you build a lifetime on and so what teachers and parents should all and coaches should always be looking for is, is the glimmer of, of a talent and then you do everything you can to make that grow um you, you don't praise without reason so that's a big mistake you don't say oh you're wonderful you should say you're wonderful in the generic sense that we're all wonderful but you don't want to give specific uh praise for something that doesn't deserve praise so you want to set the child up or the adult this applies to adults just as much to do something that is worthy of praise and the way you do that is you start with a glimmer of interest and then you practice but practice that emerges out of enthusiasm, out of an interest in something, that's practice that you want to do. You want to go to the weight room and lift weights so you'll be stronger for the football game, or you want to practice your scales so your recital, uh, you'll perform at your recital uh, more effectively. And that, and that's, again, the, 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 the usual approach is to just dictate, work hard, work hard, work hard. That's everyone's solution to everything. And that's deadening. And that's why these right. kids turn off. You know, they, 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 why should I work hard? All I'm going to get is more criticism, more frustration. No one's there to help me anyway. 
why I'll just bag it, you know, and, and forget about it. And that's why you see kids tuning out, you know, around age, you know, 10, 12, 14. And then they, and then they uh, find drugs and, you know, that becomes their solution. Yeah. Okay. So leading into my next question, parents do worry about their child's future, right? That they're going to tap out or kind of numb out, right? If the struggles are too, if it's always a struggle, right? In life. So what should parents do and expect as their child grows and matures? Oh, well, uh, you should get my book. I mean, well, I've written 24 books. Yes. Which one do you highlight? The the one, uh, the most recent is called ADHD 2.0. And it has the virtue of, of being my shortest. Uh, I finally understood my audience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they didn't want to read long books. So it's only 100 pages. But you, you really want to start by becoming an expert. And, and that book has everything you need to know. And, and, and you know, really a, a plan for, as I like to put it, unwrapping the gift, tapping into the positives. Uh, but, it you know, it begins with the... Uh, begins with connection, it, which which you have automatically the minute a child is born or is adopted and brought into the house. You know you you get this massive change. I, you you when you become a parent for the first time, you enter into a permanent state of psychosis. You know you you fall madly in love with this little baby yeah. or whatever age you get it, and that's the that's the launching pad. So you 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 on the on the wings of that love. You then start to do the incredibly difficult, unpleasant, ornery things we parents have to do. It's a good thing we're crazy in love because you have to be crazy to do all this stuff. And then, and then, then, and then, then you say, "Well, this is so much fun. I'll do it again." And my <laughs> wife and I did it three times, and and some people do it more, much more than that. So, but you, you know, you 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 don't want to pretend that it isn't difficult. It is difficult. You deny sleep, you deny money, you deny freedom, you deny, you know, impulsively saying, let's go out, let's take a flight to London or something. You can't do any of that anymore. Uh, but what you get back is only the greatest thing in the world. And that, you know, and that's why I say the first rule of parenting is enjoy your children. It's almost for sure if you're enjoying them, you're doing it right, unless you're just smoking pot with them all day. You know, but but if you enjoy your children, then that means they're enjoying it, too. And then and that means you're doing it right. You're you're tuning into some area where they feel comfortable and they feel, you know, their brain lights up uh, and your brain lights up along with them. You know, so that's what you're looking for all the time. You're looking for that mutual vibration of, 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 of affirmation and happiness and and joy and creativity instead of coming with a recipe book and saying well you should be interested in this just let let it emerge organically let it develop organically and 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 that's a lot more fun for everyone too so enjoy your children number one goal and and then when if you're doing that then the kid will find something he likes to do over and over again and that's how you develop a talent you practice i laid out the what i call the cycle of excellence in of all the books I've written, my favorite book, it's not about ADD. It's called The Childhood Roots of Adult Happiness. The Childhood Roots of Adult Happiness. And it's really a, and it's only about 150 pages. It's it's a method for raising children that will maximize the chances that they'll grow up to be happy, which is what all parents want for their kids. 
uh, and, and and it minimizes the chances that they'll be effed up, you know. So, uh, and and it's a, a very evidence based and reliable method. It all begins with connection. It begins with you know that connection to family, connection to parents, connection to a dog or a cat, connection to neighborhood, connection to nature, connection to the past, connection to favorite activities, connection to favorite food, connection to holidays and events, connection to some kind of spiritual practice, all of that, if you think about it, what makes life not only worthwhile, but meaningful and fun? It's connection. Yeah. So you want to put, you want to put that first, and then the connected child naturally goes to step two, which is to play. Play is the should be the main activity of childhood. Now, my definition of play is not just what you do at recess. My definition of play is any activity in which your imagination lights up. You're at play. Well, how do you do that? Well, you, you ask an open-ended question. Where does a circle end and begin? And next thing you know, the kid's imagination is whirring. whirring. He's at play or she's at play. And that's what great teachers do. That's that's why the Socratic method works so well. Ask questions, and and then, then you're engaging, and you're you're inviting them to play and come up with their own answers. And then once you find something to play at, you do it over and over again. That's called practice. And when you practice, you get better. Then that's called mastery. And then as you gain mastery, other people notice, and that's called recognition. And that brings you back to connection. So those five steps, what I call the cycle of excellence will spin off all the things that do correlate with leading a great life, confidence, motivation, uh, uh, reliability, uh, uh, self-regard, um, uh, empathy, uh, grit, the ability to bounce back, resilience, all of that is built in to those six st- five steps. Okay, so Dr. Hallowell, here's my question. I agree with everything that you're saying, but like ADHD kids are required to go to school. And I think what happens is that school does not feel like play. And for a lot of kids, it's set up to not feel like a place where they can succeed. Yeah, no. And and unfortunately, it often isn't. Um, You know, great teachers make every class like play. They're They're always engaging the imagination. That's what great teachers do. If the if the cl- if the class becomes too obstreperous, you you introduce some drills to help some structure to help them quiet down. If they become too quiet, you introduce some novelty to to get them stirred up again. Right, you're right. Okay, yeah. so I think as parents, when it really kind of comes to more, I think of school and I think chores. I think parents find themselves in this like nagging battle with their kids because they want them to be responsible. Um, be accountable, right? And when they're young, that falls into two buckets of school and responsibility around the house. So parents get, how do parents kind of get out of that nagging cycle, if you will, with their ADHD kid? Just be aware the, that it's there and, and you want to be proactive. Most of the effective techniques in the world of ADD, you do in advance, you do before you go on the trip, you do before school, you do before dinner, uh, you, you know, so it, you you want to have a plan and you sit down when the child's old enough to do this. And I think they can do it at age five or six 
and you say, what are the rules? How do we live together? What are our laws? What are, you know, it's a good way to introduce them to government and introduce them to all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you can you can always build in these things that make it relevant to them. But have powwows and say, you know, what, what are our rules going to be? And um, uh, so they sign off on it. And then contingencies. What if I ask you to do something and you don't do it? So instead of the, the nag being the contingency, which a lot of parents do, I mean, the answer to the question, how many times do I have to tell you is, oh, about 100. You know, so they, it, you know, you can say, take out the trash and the kid will absolutely intend to take out the trash. But in the time it takes him to walk over to the trash, he's forgotten about it right. because the trash is so boring. It's just not stimulating. It's not that he's being passive aggressive or disobedient. He it just doesn't grab him. It doesn't stick. And so, you know, if you want him to take out the trash, you you should, you know, walk him over to the trash if need be or work out some system. So he takes out the trash at the same time every week. Like tonight is my night for taking out the trash. It's Thursday night. I take out the trash. No one will have to ask me uh, and, and I'll just do it automatically. And tomorrow morning I'll bring it in. You know, so once you once you get what I call pattern planning, once you have predictable chores, predictable responsibilities, and and you you drill the person and hold them to it, they'll they'll start doing it. But yeah. too, too much of what parents do, understandably so, is in the heat of the moment, in the heat of a crisis, in the heat of a conflict, and and these kids love instig- instigating conflict because remember they're always looking for stimulation. And it's a lot more stimulating to fight with mom than it is to do your math homework. It's a lot more stimulating to pick a fight with your sister than it is to, you know, read the book you're supposed to read. So we are natural instigators, not because we're evil or obnoxious, simply because we want stimulation. And and so you you want to you want to find help them find ways of getting stimulation other than by instigating arguments and fights or playing practical jokes. You know, so so always keep that in mind that they're looking for stimulation and and always keep in mind what can I do in advance that will make whatever it might happen to be go go more smoothly smoothly yeah plan the runway for them okay so Dr. Holloway you, you made me um, think I hear from parents right there's always a lot of um, guilt I think especially if your ADHD kid likes to stir the pot a little bit, or if you're frustrated that they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing and parents um, lose their temper, right? And they explode, right? And then they have feelings of remorse. What's your advice for parents who are getting caught in that cycle with their kid of the that battle, if you will, the negative battling? Well, what I just said, you, you want to stay out of what I call the big struggle. And, and most families uh, where there is ADD uh, have the big struggle every day, usually in the morning, getting out the door for school and in the evening, getting dinner and getting homework done. Uh, <laughs> big struggle A, big struggle B. So you want to sit down over the weekend or something and say, aren't you guys tired of having this fight every day? Aren't you tired of... My screaming at you, finally losing it and screaming at you. I told you to get dressed and you're not getting dressed. And and I'm, you know, aren't you tired of me, you know, throwing the dish rag up in the air or 
you know, muttering under my breath or dad uh, kicking the door and saying, for all the work I do, I, I expect uh, better than this. I don't expect disobedient, rude, obnoxious kids. And, you know, and then he says, well, if I were your age, I, when I was a kid, I would get beaten with a belt or something. And, and you know, you, you know, they, they, they just, uh, they become someone they don't want to become. So you say, okay, let's not have this big struggle. So what can we do instead? And that's where structure really comes in. And then you have to practice the structure. But you've got the buy-in in advance by having that meeting and, and all the kids have signed off on it. Yep. And you have you have contingencies where if it doesn't happen, this is what happens instead. If it does happen, I'm not a big fan of charts and graphs. And if they work, great. I just couldn't ever implement that. But some kind of reward uh, is a good idea. In general, punishments don't work. Back when kids got spanked routinely, didn't work. You could spank them all day and they'd say, do it again. You yeah. know, they, they, the punishments just don't work. Everyone thinks, well, you didn't spank him hard enough or something. No, it, it's really the experiment's been done. And, you know, it, 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 a lot of child abuse happens. And, and it's just a terribly sad thing because you lose the kids. You know, they they grow up afraid of you and not wanting to be around you, not trusting you and, you know, and, and being physically hurt by you. And, and so... You, you don't want to use overpowering them as a as a means of intervention, but rewards, they're great. I mean, you, you're going to be doing that for the rest of your life. It's called a salary or a bonus or, a you know, in a, I get an advance on a book I'm writing. You know, so as adults, we're routinely rewarded with money. Well, so as children, you want to have the equivalent. And, and so they're working toward a, a goal. They're saving up for the Xbox or they're saving up you know, for the Ferrari they're going to have when they're old enough, you know, and, and, and their goal can be very lofty, can be grandiose indeed, you know, and who knows what they'll do, but you want them to be pointing towards something positive, saving up for something positive, you know, taking extra courses to qualify for something positive, whether it's Eagle Scout or CEO of General Electric. I mean, you, you, you want to have them, uh, identifying goals and um uh and then you and then you want to have what alfred north whitehead called an habitual vision of greatness he said there can be no moral education without an habitual vision of greatness habitual is the key word because it, it, you don't just save it for sunday morning when you go to church or for the graduation speech or you know because then it has no impact on your life whatsoever but if you habitually, you know, define what is great. I mean, for sadly, for most kids, if you ask them what is greatness, they'll go silent. Then if you push a little bit, it's usually a fame and wealth. You know, so if you're a billionaire, that means you're great. Or if you play in the NBA, that means you're great. Uh, and, and, and rarely do they say, some do, uh, that it's how many people you've helped or, uh, you know, how many diseases you've cured or, you know, that, uh, you know, or how many children you've taught. I mean, I, I think of ch as teachers, as, as the embodiment of greatness. And so yeah. kids are exposed to greatness every day. And you want to frame it for them like that. So they won't look down on people who aren't rich or famous. And, you know, and because uh, let's face it, by definition, most people are not rich or famous. But they right. can be great. They can absolutely be great. 
Uh, and uh, a lot of kids these days think you 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 can't that you can't be great unless you are rich and famous. Yeah, that's definitely not true because a lot of people who are rich and famous are despicable. They're the the opposite of great. You know, so these are the kind of, kind of conversations you ought to have when they're still young enough to have these conversations, so the, they can begin to uh, uh, construct that habitual vision of greatness. If, if you come out of childhood with that. And it's a vision of greatness that, you know, that is beneficent and generous. That, that that becomes your moral compass. You don't have to know the Ten Commandments. You don't have to, because you are not inclined to do things that hurt other people. Yeah. You know, it's, and it's not out of a sense of, I'm afraid I'll get punished or, you know, the Ten Commandments. So it's not out of that. It's a sense of loving the group, loving the town, the family, the building, with the team. You know, I don't want to hurt it because I'm part of it. And and that's in, together will be great. You know, and, and um, uh, you know, that that's where positive regard for yourself and for life. I mean, I. I think we ought to take the self out of self-esteem because it really, it isn't so important that you love yourself as much as you love the group that you're in, that you love the undertaking called life. That's right. where the, the, the loving feelings, you, you want them. Yeah. To okay. So let me ask you on that. I think with the kids who lived through COVID, ADHD or not, right? But I do hear um, the ADHD kids that we're teenagers, right? Going into college, that kind of thing. What do you do when they're struggling with taking responsibility for themselves? Really at any age, but also as young adults, like that 18 to 24 year old. You just keep supporting them and they they may need more support than other kids do. You know, tough love does not work. It's, and it can have tragic consequences. Um, you're, You're always trying to have them take responsibility. But people with ADD usually can't do that as soon as other kids can. Some can, but don't be surprised if he's, you know, you're supporting him into his well into his 20s or early 30s. And, yeah. and uh, that's fine as long as, you know, you, you've got to support yourself, too. So there's a limit to how much you can give. But, um, um, you know, you, you, you don't want to turn it into a series of moral lectures. Uh, lectures do nothing they're, they're, other than put someone off. Uh, you know, there's a natural desire in every child to become independent. You know, that, that's, I want to go where I want to go, eat what I want to eat, watch what I want to watch. And the only way I can be guaranteed to do that is if I am indeed independent. So yeah. there's a natural drive toward independence. You don't, you don't have to be, you know, punished into it, you know, so, um, uh, and, and, but there's also a natural drive to get out of work, uh, work you don't want to do. So you've got, you you know, you've kind of got competing drives. And, and again, as a parent, you're, you're the, uh, you're trying to encourage one side and discourage the other side. Do you have any other last words of wisdom? Oh, just to enjoy your children, where, where I started, um, uh, know that raising any child, there'll be lumps, there'll be disappointments, there'll be ups and downs, but it's the greatest thing in the world, and, and you will get there. And, and another really important point, never worry alone. That's why things like your podcast are so helpful. You can feel very alone when you're the parent of one of these kids or several of these kids, 
Never worry alone. Join this podcast or join chat rooms online or form a group at school. When you worry with people, that quickly turns into problem solving. When you worry alone, that quickly turns into frozen, depressive, non-action or yep. wrong action. Yeah, so. Wonderful advice. That's my two cents worth. Thanks for having me on. Mm-hmm.